Okay, let's jump in. Um, turn in your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29. And um, we continue in our study. Any, any visitors here today? If you're a visitor, boy, I'd be really impressed. I don't, I don't see anybody, though. Yay. All right. Um, here we are. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29. And this is God's word. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, And it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, you know this song, Revelation song, that everybody's so uh, uh, wild about, and we sing it here too, and it's a good song. Um, But you know, it's, "Mm, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. You know that song, right? Holy, holy is he. Good song. I love that we do that. Um, Well, you know, when there's a musical kind of interlude thing, I like sticking a verse up on the screen sometimes, or some kind of graphic or something that, that kind of anchors the thought or shows you, hey, 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 we're not just making these lyrics up. They are anchored in the scriptures. I want the people to be able to connect that. Um, well, one, of the, one, one time, I don't know, about six months ago, we sang that song, and over the intro, I put up a picture of a lamb, a famous painting of a, an, uh, a Spanish uh, artist from the 1700s. In fact, there's, a, there's several of these like this, but it was a picture of a lamb. And the lamb is on like a table or a wooden thing, and it's little baby lamb, and its feet are bound, and it's laying there like this. And on the screen, it said, it was a quote from Revelation 5.12, worthy is the lamb who was slain. By the way, later in Revelation, uh, verse 13, chapter 13, it says, um, the, the book of life of the lamb who was slain. So you have that two times in Revelation, the lamb who was slain. And so I, I said, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And then, of course, the picture goes away, and the first lyrics we sing are, worthy is the lamb who was slain. And we go, oh, the Bible is what we're singing. Truth, yay. All right. So I show this picture in rehearsal, and uh, we, we break for a second, and um, one of the singers goes, that's creepy. And uh, surely, later on that day, um, a couple other people were like, uh, I found that awkward. And maybe even inappropriate. And I don't even know if that's good to have with children in the room is have this lamb up there with his feet tied. And, um, you know, I was thinking, what gospel do you believe in? <laughs> I mean, what, what, do you think, what do you think happened on the cross? It's not silver jewelry. Uh, something cosmic happened there. Something profound. Something, something amazing. Um, you know, a word that I've... Um, that I've used many times over the years, and I actually stole, borrowed from a seminary professor, is the word profane. 
That's, it's kind of a shocking word for Christians. You say what happened on the cross of Jesus Christ is profane. But ladies and gentlemen, profane it was. The lamb was slain. The son of God was slain. The perfectly lived human life was slain. His blood was poured out, not just a little bit, but poured out unto death. Um, um, it was profane indeed. It was um, scornful. It was mocking. It was... Um, violating. It was revolting. It was shockingly impious what happened on the cross. It was humiliating. What do you think the Old Old Testament sacrificial system was? Year after year, day after day after day after century after century, animals were killed and blood was moved and blood was poured out and and, and blood was a fixture. I mean, what do you think all that was uh, pointing toward? Um, it was pointing toward this. In New Testament terms, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. That's the message. The wages of sin is death, and Jesus paid the wages. When you work a job and you want your wages at the end of, of, of your work, uh, give me what's coming to me. Well, the wages of sin is death. What's coming to you is death, and Jesus paid the wages. He's the lamb who was slain. And so for our purposes today, the big idea, if I were able to put it on the screen here for you, would be this, that Jesus is the substitutionary curse bearer. You grab that, and you, you, you've got the gospel apprehended. He was the substitutionary curse bearer. So when John declares in verse 29, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that's not a cutesy, fluffy, cuddly thought about a lamb. He is the substitutionary curse bearer. Remember, he is taking away the sin of the world. That's a bloody thought, ladies and gentlemen. That's an accursed thought. I would not stick. You can find other paintings of a lamb slain. In fact, you can find several paintings, Catholic paintings with a halo and some other gizmos and stuff. But, I mean, blood is coming out of the heart of the lamb into a goblet. I mean, that's hard to look at. That's that's probably you don't want to put that in front of your Second graders. But, um, friends, a lamb who was slain, a lamb who was bound, it's supposed to be shocking. White, innocent, pure, bound. Wow, that doesn't seem fair. No, it doesn't seem fair. That's, that's the message. Um, Jesus is the substitutionary curse bearer. There is no gospel without that. All right, so to our first point, the designation as lamb. All right? Um, we pick up our story. John the Baptist has a ministry, and it's in full bloom. Um, He's got people coming out to the wilderness, and um, crowds are coming, and uh, as we saw last week, scared religious leaders are showing up. They're like, oh, what's happening out in the desert with this John the Baptist character? Who who is he? They're trying to identify him. They're like, are you the Messiah that we've been waiting for all these centuries? Are you a reincarnated Elijah? Are you a reincarnated Moses-type figure? Who who is this guy? Crowds are coming. Religious leaders are coming, uh, trying to inspect what's going on, but the most important aspect about what John the Baptist is doing is that he is calling Jews to repentance. Uh, not Gentiles to repentance, but Jews to repentance. And uh, so he, he's not saying, hey, Gentiles, uh, you need to repent of your sin and uh, ceremonially cleanse yourself before this God. He's saying, no, Jews, the covenant people, the children of Abraham, you are the ones who are called to repentance. And Jews are coming out. And that's why the religious, religious leaders are going, wait, 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 wait. Abraham's our father. What are you doing? Calling us to repentance. But that's what he's doing. Very profound. Um, and so the gospel writer, um, the apostle John, he's including certain details 
that we can pick up his, his theological theme. He's writing a history, but it's a, the, it's a biased history. It's a, an intended history. He wants us to see who this Jesus is, and um, it's a theological history of God saving sinners. And so John the Baptist is out there. His ministry's in full bloom, and he's calling Jews and all to submit themselves uh, to baptism um, in repentance. And so the heat of his ministry is going, and uh, the religious leaders have come out to inspect. And have you noticed this? On, uh, look at verse uh, 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. Did you know that? I mean, you see how things are just whipping along. Uh, crowds are there. Uh, John, the apostle, writing this, wants, us to, wants to speed it along and show us exactly what's happening. Crowds are coming. Ministry's blooming. Call to repentance. Religious leaders come out. And the next day... John the Baptist sees Jesus coming, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now, that's a common verse to many of us. We've heard that, the Lamb of God, uh, some of us as Christians our whole lives. And it's been a common idea to the church uh, for many centuries. Um, and for instance, that, uh, the, the, those paintings, you know, uh, I mean, painted hundreds of years ago, a uh, very common uh, thing for, for those who love the word. Well, the Bible offers many titles for Jesus. In fact, the Gospel of John does, offers a number of titles for Jesus. Lamb of God is one of them. But what's interesting is that the Lamb of God, that term, the Lamb of God, only shows up in two books of the Bible. Did you know that? And the two books of the Bible it shows up in are written by the same dude, John the Apostle. And it's in this book, the Gospel of John, and it's in Revelation, also written by John the Apostle. And uh, so... um, there are some liberal scholars uh, who will try to cast doubt on the uh, validity of that term. They'll say, well, wait a second. You know, John just kind of cooked up this jazzy term, um, you know, thinking about Passover and lambs and, and uh, Old Testament uh, speak. And uh, so John the Apostle just kind of jazzed it up. Okay, they'll, so that'll be one of the criticisms. Or they'll say, well, you know, John the Baptist, um, his story wasn't really right. Or they might just say, hey, it's fake news, you know, Lamb of God, where does that come from? If it's not validated by any other writers, just this guy in the two book, a couple of the, two of the three books he wrote. But ladies and gentlemen, um, here's what you need to remember. John the Baptist was a prophet. He was a prophet. He was every bit of a prophet as Isaiah or Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Daniel or a dozen other, the minor prophets. He was a prophet. And uh, he was the first prophet in 400 years, and God is putting words in his mouth. This identification of Jesus as Lamb of God is how God wants us to think about Jesus. We're invited to think about Jesus as Lamb of God. This is God speaking through his prophet, so there's no confusion. Now, along with Lamb of God, there's another um, designation for Jesus, and it's right here in our passage. Look at verse 34. Um, I have seen... I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So in the same passage today, he's called Lamb of God, he's called Son of God. Look at verse 38. Jesus turned to them and following them, and he says, what are you seeking? And they said, Rabbi. So he's called Rabbi also. We're invited to think of him in in that term also. Look at verse 49. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi. There it is again. You are the Son of God. There that is again. You are the King of Israel. And how about uh, verse 51? He said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open, the angel of God descending and, and descending on the Son of Man. 
So you've got all these different designations for Jesus in the scriptures, and uh, there's one other biggie, and it's a biggie we've already covered, which is in chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word personified with a capital W was with God, and make no mistake, the Word with a capital W was God. He was in the beginning with God. I mean, you see how clearly John is trying to write it. He already said it once, in the beginning was the word. He says it again in verse two. He was in the beginning with God. He was with God. He was God. And in case there's any more confusion, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. You know what that means? Jesus wasn't made. Jesus was divine. This is a claim to divinity. So you've got all this in this short package, all in chapter one. You've got these, these terms used for Jesus Christ. Um, this is how we're supposed to consider Jesus. And as concerning this Lamb of God, listen to what uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 1. Conduct yourselves with fear, knowing that you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And a critic may say, well, Peter's only speaking to the purity of Jesus. Uh, there. You know, he's, he's not really speaking of the atoning sacrifice. And I would say, uh, first of all, I wouldn't say it only speaks to the purity of Jesus. That's, that is no small thing. Uh, and secondly, um, Jesus' divine and intrinsic righteousness was an essential to salvation. Remember our main point, that Jesus is substitutionary curse bearer? Well, his purity per Peter, um, using a lamb as an illustration, is very much a part of that whole uh, transaction as a substitutionary curse bearer. He had to have a perfectly lived life uh, if we're going to have a cleansing unto fellowship with God. So what's the application for your life? Why does all this matter to you? Well, I'll tell you, I get, um, I get all kinds of weird catalogs at this church, like stuff you don't even know exists. Catalogs full of banners and flags and robes, and I get other catalogs that are more industrial, so it's like worship, you know, it's, it's always funny. It's like uh, uh, worship tech. It's like, like worship tech is different than other tech, you know. It's special for the church, you know. Um, so I get tech, tech stuff. I get uh, robes and banners. I get goblets. I get uh, Mexican uh, Catholic uh, candles. Um, it's just all kinds of crazy stuff, crazy, crazy stuff. But, you know, in all these catalogs, Whenever there's a worship leader, the pictures are all the same. It's, it's some guy and some mm, and uh, there's lights and there's some smoke and stuff. And uh, the screens, uh, this is my point, the screens are always kind of generic. You know, like, we have come to praise you. Well, that's great. We have come to praise you. Um, uh, you are so good, nice to us. Um, they're these like kind of generic, couldn't hurt anybody's feelings. Uh, even if you were a Unitarian, you'd go, ah, that's fine. You know what? There's never on one of those screens in the background. Never blood. There's never blood. There's never holy. And those are the two words I always warn you about: blood, holy. If the church ain't preaching them or singing them, run. But they're never on the generic screens. You know why? I think that's creepy. It's awkward. You know, I don't know, it just seems inappropriate to talk about that in the morning with your children and we're all in the same room together. It's just kind of a bummer. And I'm like, man, love the gospel. 
Um, it's a profane scene. Indeed, it is. Um, it's the most anti-God scene you'll ever see, that the innocent one was made accursed. Um, but let, ladies and gentlemen, make sure that the gospel you hope in is not just some fanciful thing you invented. Make sure the gospel you hope in has somewhere in it a lamb that is found in the bushes and is provided a substitutionary curse-bearing penalty for you. All right, our second point, um, the function of the lamb. Um, as we said in our previous point, the title of the lamb of God, it was unique uh, to John um, the Baptist, but it was also new. All right, so we hear it and we go, oh, Lamb of God, yeah, I've heard that my whole life. Yeah, sure, I've been in church my whole life. Lamb of God, yeah, mm, of course, Christian. Uh, but it was new that, that he was calling Jesus Lamb of God. And think about it. There were many, many lambs sacrificed in the Old Testament, but there was never a reference to a person who was going to be the Lamb of God who was going to take away sins, never. Um, if you would keep your finger where you are or uh, just get your phone or whatever you need to do, turn to Isaiah, if you would, Isaiah 53. This will be familiar to a lot of you. Um, Isaiah prophesying about some rescuing figure. Um, He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that is silent before its shearers, so he opened not his mouth. Uh, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away as for his generation who considered, and so on. But uh, So you have that Lamb of God, uh, and people go, oh, well, you know, that's obviously about uh, the crucified Savior. And, but, but critics will go, well, wait a second. Um, that really only speaks to his meekness, right? He didn't open his mouth. And even this illustration, like a sheep that's before its shearers, there's no death threat when you're shearing a sheep. That really speaks just to Jesus' meekness. And so do we really have a parallel to think of as Jesus, as, as, as lamb? Well, look on. Look at verse 10 of, the, of that passage, 53, Isaiah 53. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He's put him to grief. When a soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his day. Um, how about um, verse 12? Oh, no, look at verse 11. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Well, now that sounds pretty salvific, doesn't it? Yeah, you got this meek lamb. It does speak to Jesus' meekness, but the same one is carrying out this work. Continue on in verse 12. Therefore, I'll divide with him a portion of the many. He shall divide the spoil with the strong. He has poured out his soul to death. He was numbered with the transgressors, that's you and me, and he bore, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. I mean, that's a saving work of the Lamb, isn't it? How about this? Back in our passage here, think about John the Baptist saying, hey, 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 crowds, all y'all, all you hundreds, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Imagine not hearing that expression ever before. The Lamb of wait the Lamb of God that's new John the Baptist and what is he doing taking away the sin of the world what do you think they would immediately think of well Lamb of God that's unusual well that what do, what do you think they would think of first Passover don't you think or a lamb was slain 
and a blood covering the doorposts uh, would, would spare them and God would pass over his judgment. They go, oh, the Lamb of, wow, the Lamb of God. You mean where God would pass over and spare? That's pretty profound. How about this? Um, you know, in Leviticus, um, it, it talks about lambs of burnt offering every morning, every evening, day after day after day, lambs of burnt offering, and twice on the Sabbath. You, you, you grow up, you're a little kid, you're a, you're a tot, you're an elementary school kid, you're an adolescent, you're an adult, and your whole life you know this goes on. Every day a lamb slain, morning and night, twice on the Sabbath, and you go, ah, wow, there's something to this. Jesus, the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sin of the world. I get it. Um, uh, sin offering. Um, there were also other occasional uh, offerings, a, a lamb of, uh, uh, of trespass or defilement. And so, yes, the point is, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The, the, the original hearers are going, oh, this is a, this is a profound thing. I'm, 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 getting, I'm getting who this, uh, this uh, one being pointed to uh, supposedly is. Now, back to the book. Behold the Lamb of God, in our passage here, uh, verse 29 of John 1. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now we have it. Um, it, it's um, it, it's um, not poetically or cryptically spoken in verse 1 to call Jesus the Word with a capital W. He has a specific function, this word with a capital W. Um, This one that John is writing about from the very beginning, claiming divinity right from the beginning, it's pointing somewhere. And you know where it's pointing? It's pointing to his taking away the sin of the world. Now, here's the problem of sin. This applies to you. Here's the problem of sin. Um, One one commentator wrote this. It is, and I'm I'm kind of paraphrasing what he said. Um, It is right for God to be opposed to us and not for us. You realize that? It is right for God to be opposed to us and not for us. You know, you're about to sing Arise My Soul, Arise out there. And uh, on the fourth verse, I love this. In fact, you know, I'm up there. I'm trying to hang on musically, and then I know I got to go teach. And so there's a lot of stuff swirling around in my head. But I I was excited this morning over the fourth verse of uh, arise, my soul, arise. And I almost wish I could stop the song and go, hey, everybody, do you see what we just, do you see what this is? It's this. My God is reconciled, his pardoning voice I hear. Now, it could say, I've been reconciled to God. That's true. But isn't it a profound thing that we sing, my God is reconciled? What does that mean? It means that he has reconciled himself to us. It is right for him to oppose the sinner. It is right for him to judge in righteousness and truth. It's right for us to be at enmity with him and him to be at enmity with us. It is right that he reconciled himself to us by the means he provided. Does that not make that that verse of that song brighter in your soul a little bit? I mean, it's just exciting. Um, So, folks, um, candy it up all you like. Uh, with uh, with good marketing uh, and and generic screens and all that stuff, but um, sin separates us from God, and the Bible says in Isaiah fifty nine, it separates us from God so that He will not hear, He will not acknowledge. 
Oh, dear Lord, help granny. He does not hear. Oh, Lord, I'm so scared about my test next week. He does not hear. He does not acknowledge the prayer of the sinner. He does not do it. He is at enmity. He must reconcile himself with the sinner by the means he provided. That is the gospel message. Um, so, um, in Christ, the, the reality flips. It is right for God to be opposed to the sinner. But in this crazy upside-down gospel where the righteous one is, is accursed and the accursed are given righteousness, it flips it around, and it flips out our relationship. It flips our relationship with God, too, where it is now right for him to be for us. He now has plans for us, plans that are good. He works out all things together for his good to those who are loved, who are called according to his purpose. It is right for him to be for us. And guess what? This is a comfort to you. Can't break his promise. No one can snatch you out of his hand. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. Uh, it is right for God to be for you, and he is forever for you, O oh believer. Last point. Um, the mission of the Lamb. Um, John is careful to point out... Um, and uh, with enthusiasm, uh, that he was an eyewitness. I mean, you look at uh, verses 30 and on, <coughs> he's saying, this is he of whom I said, um, after me, um, uh, a man who ranks before me because he was before me. He's talking about, as we talked this exact thing last week, he's talking about Jesus' divinity. Um, yeah, he was born after me. It's true. I'm older than him. He was born after me. I've got a ministry cooking. His is just starting. It's true. He's come after me. But he was before me. And what he's saying is he's God. He's from eternity. Um, <clears throat> and, and John's saying, I was an eyewitness. Verse 31, I didn't know him. But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water. Just the symbol, right? Just the symbol that points to the greater thing, just water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, and he's quoting what happened in other Gospels um, record that this, this dove comes down, he sees it, uh, he sees the Father's acknowledgement um, of, of Jesus as Savior and of Jesus' mission. And here's where we get to the main thing. Remember, the word who becomes flesh is pointing at something. His work is pointing at taking away the sin of the world. But it doesn't stop there. You know what else he's in the, in the business of, the mission of? Look at uh, verse 34. I've seen, oh, excuse me, verse 33. Uh, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And that's really where it points. God sends a Savior to rescue us from our sin, he makes us his own, and he pours out his Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that came upon Jesus is, is now given to us. God makes us his own, and he doesn't leave us there. He, he rather makes us children and is constantly working in our lives. Um, this, this one on whom the Spirit descended um, would send the Spirit to um, uh, restore us, to, for us to live uh, restoratively. Um, and, of course, that's, this is a precursor to Pentecost. It's pointing to Pentecost. All right, last thing. Um, and I could quote song. It's amazing. As I was studying, I just kept thinking about song after song after song. Uh, in fact, I told Tammy, I said, I said, oh, I should tell you anyway. 
We're good on time. I told Tammy, I said, oh, you know, I'm never sure when we're, uh, when we're singing what. I plan all these services, and I'm, I'm always confused as to what Sunday's what. Um, but I said, man, I, hope, I wonder if we're singing Rock of Ages tomorrow. And we are. We're singing Rock of Ages. Think about it. Be of sin, the double cure. What's the double cure? Isn't that a weird thing to say? Be of sin, the double cure. Well, it gives you the answer. Saves me from his guilt, from my guilt, from sin's guilt, and sin's power. That's the double cure. Sin's guilt, sin's power. That's what it is here. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the guilt. And then power. This is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Guilt, power. Is that cool? The double cure. All right. Anyway, back to my closing. We sing this song, uh, Forgiven. Um, it's kind of a new one we introduced about six months ago. Um, uh, you know, I am forgiven at the foot of the cross. You know that one? Well, there's a line in that song that says, um, where heaven's love and justice meet. It's talking about the cross. Where heaven's love and justice meet. Is that not a picture? Well, I have a feeling that that, um, you know, that, 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 theme has been written in various ways many times over the years. I have a feeling that that songwriter, contemporary songwriter, borrowed a hardly ever sung, I should say maybe never sung, um, missing verse from Beneath the Cross of Jesus. You know, we sing that song, Beneath the Cross of Jesus. Listen to this funky, weird verse from Beneath the Cross of Jesus. Oh, safe and happy shelter... Oh, refuge tried and sweet. Pretty cool. Here's the, here's, here it gets weird. Oh, trysting place. Trysting. Where heaven's love and heaven's justice meet. I think the forgiven guy went, ooh, that's good. You know why we don't sing that? Because what does trysting mean? Anybody know? Huh? Hooking up. It really does. It's a romantic Interlude, it's, it's making out, it's hooking up, it's romantic. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's a trysting place, the cross, where heaven's love and justice meet, a, a romantic rendezvous between lovers. That's pretty wild, isn't it? Friends, Jesus is the substitutionary curse bearer. That's what happened on the cross. Heaven's love and justice met. Justice was satisfied And love was satisfied because the sinner was cleaned and rescued. Um, You know, in my opening marks, I I cited that the the wages of sin is death. Here's the rest of the sentence. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Uh, Yes, it's a profane scene, this, this lamb who was slain. It's a profane scene to see a bound, pure, innocent, helpless, silent lamb slain, blood poured out against white, hard to think about, hard to look at. But friends, um, it's the wages of sin. It's death. But the benefit for you is you get the gift. And if you walk out of here hearing one thing out of all these pieces of paper, hear the word gift. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift of God who, um, who finds a way that justice and love are satisfied as they tryst, as they kiss, 
as they work together on the cross. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and um, thank you for this unusual gospel. It, it is certainly different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It is certainly, um, it, it is certainly full of um, large themes and and deep thoughts and anchored in the Old Testament and, and challenging and um, disturbing and wonderful. We thank you for that, Lord, and we pray that you would apply truth to our hearts. We pray, Lord, that we would uh, find ourselves submitting to you and being made more in the likeness of Jesus because the Holy Spirit has been poured out. Do that for us, Lord. Do it for me. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, y'all.